This is episode 106 of the Rise Up Podcast. We're a morning radio show hosted by Steve and Tim on Family Life, a network of stations across New York and Pennsylvania. This podcast is a weekly conversation designed to help you think and laugh and keep your eyes on Jesus. If you haven't already, subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode. And find out more about our show at familylife.org. Feel free to stick around a while. We love it when you're here. This is Rise Up with Steve and Tim on Family Life. Sometimes a touchy topic, but we're going to ask it today. How can a Christian love people in the way that Jesus does, which is in truth, but without condemnation, talking about loving people where they're at? What you ever have a topic, and this is one of them for me, that you hear a topic, whether it be in church or reading something, and then like everywhere you turn, television, your reading material, again, in church or conversations sure. from people, and that's what they're focusing on. And the last several months, it's been the topic that it seems everywhere I turn, people are talking about that and talking to even other pastors. I asked a pastor recently, I'm like, what what are you what are you learning and what have you learned over the last you know whatever five or ten years and some and the first thing that came to their mind was it's like you know I need to love people better without condemning them and not oh. be so judgmental because we as Christians uh, can can be that way many times we we're not saying we agree with the way people do things right. or whether it be lifestyle or how they act or do different things we're not saying we agree with them. But we can still love them, love them where they are. And let's say they don't know Jesus. And certainly we want to we want to uh, display Jesus in our lifestyle. We're not displaying Jesus if we take that word of God in the Bible and thump them over the head with it and pound it. And you're doing it wrong. And blah. Yeah. that's that's not the way Jesus did it uh, in the Bible. And that's not the way we, we're supposed to be more. Yeah like Jesus. Yeah. Not many times I think we become less like Jesus because we know the rules. Yeah. We follow the rules, but the number what's the number one thing and number two thing? Love God yes. and love people. Yes. Um and it's funny you you mention like how we see Jesus do this in the Bible because I'm thinking about this the very famous story where Jesus meets the woman who is caught in the act of sin. And these people want to condemn her. Now, first of all, I think it's important to say that none of what we're saying here is to say someday we'll get to heaven and God's going to say, oh, sin. Oh, you took sin too seriously. Oh, sin wasn't that big of a deal. It's like, no, we know it's it's the deal. It's the big deal. It's sure. Jesus came to change our status with him because sin had messed everything up. And that's what Jesus eradicates in our life. It's a big deal to God. So none of what we're saying says that it's not a big deal. And look at how Jesus reacts in this story. So this woman is caught in the act of adultery, unfaithfulness to her husband. And the religious leaders of the time say, Jesus, we've got the proof. The law says we can stone her. What do you say we do? Well, first of all, their motive's all wrong. But they, they're trying to put him on the spot right there. So the sin is obvious. There's no denying the sin. Jesus doesn't say, well, maybe it wasn't really bad. He doesn't say, well, maybe she didn't really do this sin. But Jesus does confront them with their own sinfulness and says, as is famously repeated many times, who he who is out, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Mm -hmm. If you've never done anything wrong, why don't you condemn her? Jesus is the only one in that group who never has done anything wrong. And what does he do? He doesn't condemn her. 
He calls out her sin for what it is, and he calls her to live righteously. How do I, how do I follow that up? How do I be inspired by that and like let that change me? And it's not always easy in, in today's day and age to know how do we do that? How do we stand for truth and love at the same time? Because we know one thing, it doesn't look like picking up stones. Right, right. And remember the sliding scale some of us used to get graded on in school? Ooh. It's like if, uh, if certain people, if we had, here's the standard and then, but you know, normally you would have gotten a D, but now because other people didn't do as well, that, that D becomes a C or whatever, oh, the sliding scale. Right. And we are guilty of, uh, and I know I am, many times of doing the sliding sin scale. Hmm. It's like, oh, that sin. Oh, but that one's a bad one. Oh, that one's really, really bad. And and this one's not quite as bad. So, but that's not how God looks at things. Sin is sin. And so when we're acting in a uh, condemnation way toward other people and condemning them for what they did in a way that's not loving, hmm. we have just sinned ourselves yeah. by doing that. Right. No worse, no better. It's sin is sin. And maybe maybe worse in the sneaky sense, right? That if we're committing sins that we don't think are sins, then we just get stuck in that, keep doing that, that judgmental sin. Like maybe the sin of judgment and pride because it masks itself as being like this righteous thing. It's all the sneakier and it can stay there all the longer because We'll justify it to ourselves. It's hard to justify, you know, if you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be, if you're consuming things you shouldn't be excessively. It's kind of hard. You know, like, ah, I shouldn't be doing this, but it feels good, so I'm going to keep doing it. Well, you know that's a sin. But man, when we are sinning and thinking it's the right thing, no, I'm standing for the truth. Well, actually, you're being prideful maybe in how you're doing that. That's all the sneakier, and boy, that's kind of a scary thought. But Stephen Tim, but Stephen Tim, I have this friend who doesn't know the Lord, and and they're acting in a in a in a way that is so so wrong, and and I want to tell them what's the right way to mm. do it, and and I can't let them keep going like that. Well, yeah, you can do it in a loving way. Just love them where they are. Get to know them a little bit better. Uh, talk, listen to them. Uh, sure. That that kind of thing. See what they have to say, as opposed to thumping them over the head with the word of God. Not to say the word of God isn't true, because it is. Right. But the loving, the way that God loves people, that's the lesson that uh, I've been hearing lately from so many different directions, so many angles, just to to hear people, listen to people, love people, and maybe you've heard the term, you know, love them into the kingdom, as opposed to slapping them over the head. You don't want to force anybody to make that choice. You can't change people's minds anyway. Only God changes their heart. Yes. And I think, but I think the most important thing though, Steve, is to lean on what you just said, that it's not going to be me that changes somebody. I, and at the same time, I don't want to let that be for me an excuse to right. never speak the truth and say, well, it's not going to be me that changes their mind anyways. Well, it's going to be God's truth, but hopefully he's going to use you to share that truth. Right. And uh, say, oh, I didn't need to witness to that person. And yes, you can witness in many different ways. But one of the ways that we're suggesting uh, is saying, not just suggesting, where, you know, God loves that way. Witness to people through his love. Mm. Love them right where they are. And it's amazing what God can do with that kind of love. Of course we're happy. You're here. Why wouldn't we be? Thanks for listening to Rise Up on Family Life. 
who's gonna oh. who's gonna clean up here on uh, Family Life Rise Up? And the thing isn't that we're complaining about doing right. the dishes. I mean, wait, wait, it can even be therapeutic to mm-hmm. do the dishes, but there is that one dish. Oh, everybody's got one. Their least favorite dish to clean. Good morning. Who's this? Hi, my name's Don. I'm from Cataraugus. Oh, Don, you like I'm, washing the dishes? The least favorite dish in my house that I want to clean is my dog dish. <laughs> dog dish. <laughs> I did that this morning, and it was not fun. <laughs> What's the problem, Don? What's the problem there? I, I, I think it's the idea of the, of the saliva around the edge of the bowl. <laughs> you know, just something you have against that idea? Oh, I wonder why. God bless. This is Pam Moyer, and I live in Covington, Pennsylvania. You don't like that certain dish. Which one is it? Um, well, it's not really a dish. It's a pan, and it's the broiler pan. From the oven, once you get steaks or whatever. Oh, oh man, yeah. what a hassle. I'm tired out just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, rest up today for the... Is Brillo it... Pad. Oh, the Brillo, Brillo Pad. Oh, the Brillo Pad. That'll uh, help. Guys, have a dandy day. Thank you. Oh, I love dandy days. This will be one of them. Thanks. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Lori from Sinclairville. Okay, you don't like to clean which dish? Um, eggs. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. That's a good point. It doesn't it matter what the dish was. That's true. If eggs got cooked in it, oh, it's a mess. And now. then if you wait too long, they're all hard and crusty. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's it. What's your What's your favorite egg to uh, prepare? Scrambled egg. Yeah, I of like course. Them. Yep. Yeah. Can't go wrong with a good scrambled egg. Do you put it in a sandwich, like between two pieces of toast or something? Ooh. I haven't done that, but when we make whole eggs, we will put it on a piece of toast. And the, and the toaster is easier to clean out. You just turn it over and dump it over the trash can. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Once every seven years. Right. <laughs> we might not know what God has planned for today, but we're going to face it together. This is Rise Up on Family Life. Today being backwards day feels mm-hmm. like a really fitting time for me to discuss my left-handedness. Okay. I've always been, let me just say, first of all, I've always been proud to be a lefty. Okay. I've been proud lefty. I love it. I, okay, ink smudges have been rough. Mm-hmm. I've been told that I tie my shoes upside down. Mm. I've been told that my whole life. I don't really know how that's possible, but I think it's because I'm left-handed. I still like you anyway. And I still like me too, okay. as a lefty as I am. And I think that today on backwards day, I'm going to say as a lefty, I think you right-handers for like maybe the first time, you've got this whole thing backwards. What thing? The fork thing. Now go with me here. Okay, table right. setting. All right. I, I had to check this out because I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. Okay. When you set a table, right. the fork oh. is on the left. Left side, you're right. Okay. okay. Yeah. The knife is on the right. right. Now, right. now, Steve, you were part of my like informal survey I conducted among right-handers. I was wondering why you were asking yesterday. this yesterday. Yeah. yeah, when you cut your food, like mm-hmm. you right-handers... Right. You got that knife in the right hand, right? Correct. And then the fork is there in the left hand. Correct. Okay, now what do you do before you eat the food that you just cut? Well, the answer I had yesterday, I had to think about it a second, mm-hmm. even though I've been doing it all my life, but I, <laughs> I think I put my utensils down, shift the fork to my right hand, and then eat. And I couldn't, I could hardly believe it until I talked to right-hander after right-hander after right-hander who said like, well, yeah, we just kind of like switch hands here, and then sure. we eat it. Like, this is the one thing lefties do that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. We hold the fork, we cut the food, we eat the food with mm-hmm. the same hand, the left hand. It makes sense. All of a sudden, a life of left-handedness makes a lot more sense. And look, I spend a lot more time eating than I do tying my shoes. Mm-hmm. So I'll say left-handedness was worth it all along. Okay, you got I, I, have a, I have a theory why you just quickly just keep the left hand going. Yeah, yeah, well, what's It saves that? time because you need more time to go out and try to find the right kind of scissors. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, scissors! They're, they're difficult. Ah! <laughs> if you're looking for fun, hope, and encouragement, you've come to the right place. 
This is Rise Up with Steve and Tim on Family Life. I'm bored. Well, it's not just the kids that say that. Sometimes, uh, yes, you have felt that way, too. So what is boredom? Well, simply put, boredom is disinterest. That's why you can become very busy and bored at the same time. Boredom is not the opposite of busyness. It's the opposite of interest. It's not a things-to-do problem. It's an interest problem, which means it's a joy problem. You're not going to find the word bored in the Bible, unless, of course, you're drilling a hole in something. But you'll find words like slothful, sluggard, lazy, idle. The Bible makes it clear they are not good character traits. Uh, It might be momentary indulgence in slothfulness, or it might be slothfulness wearing boredom as a disguise. So what's boredom telling us? When we feel bored, we're simply asking the question, where's my joy? Think of boredom as a dashboard warning indicator that starts dinging. Something has caused your interest level to run low, and it's draining your joy. So listen carefully to your boredom. It's telling you something important. It's a hunger for happiness. Don't just feed it junk food of easy entertainment or stimulation or that malnourishing diet of selfish pursuits. If you look at boredom's warning signal, it'll show you your broken joy. And here's the good news. If you accept the invitation to that, it will bring you fountains of where the joy is found. So look for the joy and the boredom will go away. Of course we're happy. You're here. Why wouldn't we be? Thanks for listening to Rise Up on Family Life. Once every year in Punxsutawney's borders, a groundhog's shadow causes quite the disorder. If his shade he spies, more winter's in store. But if clouds fill the skies, the air will soon warm. Now the woodchuck called Phil isn't really a prophet. If we're in for a chill, he's helpless to stop it. Time-honored practice with top hats and all. Spectators make wishes when Phil comes to call. But the groundhog so humble, star of tradition, is none the wiser of meteorological superstition. It's harmless, I know. Is it fun? You bet craning for a glimpse of Phil's silhouette. But I wonder of groundhogs if they know more than people. They trust God for the winter and go off to sleep full. We, on the other hand, are not often so bright. We worry most days, toss and turn most nights. It's for times like these the good Lord has taught. Consider the sparrows, have faith as we ought. That's hard to imagine, even harder to do, when the world that you live in looks dark around you. Consider the woodchuck, the hog of the ground. When up from his burrow, good Phil looks around. Are they shadows he sees? Are there clouds up above? Either way, he trusts God and is held by his love. 